Blog Talk Radio. Come on, party people, get down, get in the groove. Come on, party people, get down, get in the groove. Come on, party people, get down, get in the groove. Burn, remix, up, oh, gonna make you move. Ripping microphones is a habit, I got the fetish. Cooling in the crib with the brutes. It does on the public lounge. Giving you something that you could bounce to. Surround sound, tailor made the triangle or two. Word, LORD with militia. Coming to get you a vivid 3D picture. D-I-D-E-V, Mr. Tan. Had my girl the mic, Miss Toy ripped it. Broadcast live and heard around the world. You are now listening to the most entertaining hour of radio on the planet. It's the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour presented by MyFFPC.com with your hosts, Eric Balkman and Dave Gerzak. The High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour is your home for football analysis from the best fantasy players in the world. And now, because no one else was available, here are Eric Balkman and Dave Gerzak. Thank you once again, Robin. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this extra special April 3rd Easter episode of the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour presented by MyFFPC.com live from the Gatorade Studios. Support for the show is also provided in part by Dan and Oikos Triple Zero Yogurt. Possibly the perfect protein snack, Dan and Oikos Triple Zero contains 15 grams of protein per 5.3 ounces. And unlike some other protein snacks, it has zero fat, zero added sugar, and zero artificial sweeteners. Each spoonful of Dan and Oikos Triple Zero combines a full creamy flavor with the sweetness of stevia, a zero-calorie sweetener, and sugar substitute source from the stevia rabotiana, excuse me, rabotiana leaf. That's Dan and Oikos Triple Zero Yogurt the official yogurt of the NFL. Greetings and salutations to all the Balkaholics hanging out in the chat room tonight. I'm your slightly above average host, Eric Balkman, and my normal co-host, the Dizzle, Dave Gerzak, is actually off this week. So joining me to co-host the show tonight is 2012 NFFC online champion, 2014 RTS fantasy champion, and $200,000 winner, Henry Mudo. Henry, welcome into the show, man. How you doing today? How's everything with the baby? Oh yes, uh, the, the the baby is good. Uh, the 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 mother is very good. My wife, uh, of course, uh, for anybody missed my tweet or my uh, Facebook post out on it, uh, my wife gave birth to a uh, baby girl, our our first daughter, our second child, at eleven thirty one a.m. Central Time on Wednesday, April Fool's Day. So obviously, a lot of my friends thought I was kidding, but it was legit. Nine pounds, uh, even. Uh, 21 inches. Emma Rose Balkman. Very excited. Everybody is healthy. I don't have a, a whole lot of sleep in me, Henry. So you're you're going to have to carry the show tonight. <laughs> That's all right. We'll do our best here. Perfect. And you know the other thing I figured out, Henry, is is you are a big with, with the NCAA basketball tournament going on. You're a big Kentucky Wildcats fan. I'm obviously a big Wisconsin Badgers fan, and they play each other tomorrow night in what should be a fantastic game. If it's anything like uh, last year, we're in for a doozy. I'm I'm hoping for a little more comfortable win myself. But, you know, it's been a long week uh, trying to recover from that Notre Dame game still. And, you know, you only get a once-in-a-lifetime shot to go 40-0, I think. Yeah, that's that. That is definitely true. It had, obviously there there has not been a uh, undefeated team. I want to say since like the '80s or the '70s or something. And, and Wisconsin has not been in the national championship game till literally or since literally my father was a twinkle in my grandfather's eyes. So it's been quite a while. 
anyway, we'll, we'll move past the basketball. We might touch on it later on in the show, but uh, let's uh, let's talk a little football tonight. For anybody who is hanging out in the chat room, and I see a lot of familiar faces in there along with Henry, Brothers Mayhem, Mint, Rednecks, Road Warrior, all in the chat tonight. You guys can post questions for Henry, for myself in there. If you want to connect with us on Twitter, you can do at H, uh, do so at HSFFR, at Eric Balkman. Uh, fi- Facebook.com slash the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour is where you can connect with us there. 347-426-3682 is the call-in line. That's 347-GAME-OVA. And, of course, you can email the show at highstakesfantasyfootball at gmail.com. Our producer and mutual friend Rob and our audio engineer Bryce getting those emails to us as we go on tonight. So feel free to get those uh, to us. Now, normally we would kick off the show. And by the way, I should say, you know, right at the top of the show, if anybody is still interested in playing Dynasty uh, with the FFPC, the uh, teams that are out there right now, the orphan teams uh, that you can buy at the lowest prices I've seen them. I'm surprised they're this low, but you can get a good deal on those. And remember to sign up for the FFPC main event. Uh, the early bird is going on right now until May 4th. So get in with your $200 deposit so you can be entered in the pros versus Joe's drawing. Obviously, we have the Football Guys Players Championship signups going on. And you can jump in an FFPC online sat. Uh, anywhere from $35 to $250 right now. You can draft right now. Very exciting. That's all at myffpc.com. As I said earlier, normally we kind of get into the news uh, at the top of the show, but I thought we'd flip things around tonight. Uh, Henry's actually been on the show before, uh, but it was only like a five or 10 minute interview with Dave. And I, I feel like uh, we, we can finally you know, get Henry his true interview on the show tonight after uh, winning all these national contests and being so successful. Uh, let's get to know Henry Mudo right at the top of the show. Henry, when you're not uh, dominating the fantasy football landscape in the high-stakes space, what are you doing for a living? I uh, work at a place called American Brazing in Willoughby, Ohio. Um, it's a heat treating and brazing company. We do a lot of jet engine uh, parts for planes. Um, I'm the process administrator. I've been there for 20 years. I basically uh, write up the processes for the programs and stuff like that, Uh, and I do the vacuum programming. It takes up to 2,400 degree in temperatures for the parts. Uh, Mainly those are my functions there. And I want to ask, is everyone, can everyone hear me okay in the chat room? They seem to be saying they can't hear me too well, so I turned the yeah. volume up on my phone. So. Yeah, I, I can, you are a little soft in, in, in my headphones here, Henry. Um, I know Rednecks and uh, Brothers Mayhem having a little bit of difficulty. Um, so, I, I mean, I can still hear you. It's just, it's just a, a little bit on the quiet side. And we want to get you at your full volume tonight, Henry. This is uh, this is your show. You're obviously co-hosting, so we want to definitely uh, get uh, get you up as as best as we can. Uh, as we um, you know move forward and talk about uh, what you've been able to accomplish in, in the high stakes industry, really, I mean, it, it's it's pretty unbelievable. You you've had the 2012 NFC, NFFC online championship. You had the 2014 RTS championship. You won uh, the 2014. A DFFWC uh, title uh, with the dynasty leagues there uh, as well. You you've been crushing these national contests. Um, so and I want to talk about all of them, but the first one I want to uh, really get into at the top of the show is the RTS title. You won two hundred thousand uh, dollars in that contest last year. Talk a little bit about what went into building that squad and what it was like when you were watching that team play in Week Sixteen. Um, just to uh preface it uh 
I did have a teammate with that particular team. Um, so I only got a hundred thousand myself. Poor me. Only a hundred thousand. Yeah. So I did have a teammate for that league. Uh, actually it's a girl I work with. We, three years ago, she started working there and we did one team. Like I do about 60 teams a year, 50 to 60. And, uh, well, at least in the last three years, I wasn't this crazy up until 2012, but Hey, it's paid off. So maybe that's the way to go. But, uh, she started working there, and she liked fancy football. And I'm like, hey, you know, we'll do a team together. And we did like a little $30 team in 2012 and won a free entry to uh, your league in 2013, the 350 entry. And we uh, took Trent Richardson in the first round, and we sucked. So this year we decided to try again, and we went with the RTS <laughs> style. And, uh, you know, just happened to work out. Um, well, I would say, uh, let's see. Basically, the draft strategy we used going in was to – we had the 10th pick, and we kind of figured the, the best running backs would be off the board. And the RTS uses one PPR straight across the board. So the tight ends, we weren't going to go with the tight end in the first two rounds. Um, so we decided to go with receiver-receiver. We actually planned out going with Des Bryant and Julio Jones, and amazingly enough, it fell, Des Bryant, Julio Jones, exactly who we wanted. And then in the third round, we were able to get Gronkowski. Uh, and then in the fourth round, we got Foster. So I think the key to winning these big national contests is to be really successful with, you know, four or five, your first four or five picks. I mean, if you want to win the big one, I mean, you know, it's really hard to have a miss in the first four or five picks. You can overcome it to win your league, but I'm not sure you can overcome it to win at all. Um, and then we got Emmanuel Sanders in the fifth round. So I did take one running back in the first five picks. My sixth round pick didn't even count. It was Pierre Thomas, so he really didn't do nothing. Uh, as far as quarterbacks went, we went with the tandem of Jake Cutler, Cam Newton, which basically gave me an ulcer week 16 because Cam Newton got benched. and I mean, Cam Newton was in a car accident and Jake Cutler was benched. So we didn't even know if we'd have a quarterback week 16. <laughs> we, uh, we were uh, in the 12th place in the regular season, and then uh, Julio scored 41 points in week 14 to move us up from 70th to 12th place for week 14, the first week of the playoffs. Uh, after week 15, we were in sixth place. And then going into the Monday night game, we were in second place. Um, two point, let's see, uh, 2.87 or something like that behind first place. The other guy had Jeremy Hill. We had Emmanuel Sanders. And realistically speaking, going into Monday night, we were going to be the top two. We were both 25-plus ahead of everyone else. So unless our players just really sucked. And I think the best guy was 40 points back with Demarius Thomas and C.G. Anderson. So, you know, they'd have to have huge games. So, you know, I was pretty nervous going into that night. In fact, during that Sunday, because I was in about eight championship games uh, for, you know, various dynasty leagues and other redraft leagues. So I wasn't really even paying attention to the leaderboard. I was just kind of watching the games. And our biggest pickup of the year was uh, uh, Odell Beckham. Um, We missed the boat on getting him before anyone knew about it. Because most people were picking him up in leagues week five before he even started a game. We got lucky week six is when we picked him up 
for an $88 bid, and not another person in our league even made a dollar bid on him. And obviously, Odell Beckham scored 110 points the final three weeks, which probably is close to, you know, one of the highest scoring three-week periods by a non-quarterback ever. And to get him off of waivers was huge. But uh, I mean, and the other thing, too, is you said uh, in this um, winning this $200,000, you won it by 1.43 points, and it actually came down to the final play uh, on Monday Night Football? Right. We went into Monday night up, I think it was 2.87, and Jeremy Hill ripped off an 85-yard touchdown in the first quarter, which, you know, we were down by, I think, 17 points at the half. We have Emmanuel Sanders. He did nothing in the first half, like three points. So I was resigned to second place at that point, and the drop was down to, you know, as we all know, these contests drop big, you know, 200,000 to 25, and 25 is nothing to sneeze at, but when you're that close, you feel like it's a once-in-a-lifetime shot. you got to win it, or you right. know, you're going to be regretting it forever. Um, and, you know, I pretty much was resigned to second place at the half because Denver looked crap, you know, in the first half. But uh, Emmanuel Sanders got that second touchdown and put us in the lead, like, literally by, like, 3.9. And then he left the game. He didn't come back. He didn't have another catch. And then with Denver losing – Every time Cincinnati touched the ball, you knew Hill was getting it on first and second down. And I remember distinctly a turnover by Denver or a kick return. Something got them Cincinnati down to the eight. And I knew, you know, this was it. This was, you know, you got to stop Hill. Hill scores a touchdown. It's over. And he fumbled the ball. And uh, that pretty much saved it for us. And then the last play of the game – Denver was driving. There was like two minutes left. And I remember I've never been so excited for a timeout in a game because they had three <laughs> timeouts. So I knew if they scored and they gave the ball back to Cincy, they would have to try to get a first down. They had three timeouts. So Denver, for some unknown reason, they had to score twice. They threw like a pass or a run or a screen or something, and they called a timeout and I was with like a minute 50 to go or something. And I was just like, yes, now if the clock gets down to a minute 20, it won't matter. But then, of course, on the next play, I think Peyton Manning threw a pick. So there still was a minute 40 left or something. So I knew Cincinnati had to get one first down. So we were up 2.83. So they give the ball to Jeremy Hill. He breaks down the left sideline, and I can still see it clear as day. And he's in the open field. And I'm just thinking, okay, fall down, fall down. How many more yards are you going to run before you fall down? Because you don't know what these guys are going to do. And then he fell down after 14 yards. Uh, leaving us with the 1.43 win. It was uh, pretty nerve-wracking. <laughs> that, that is unbelievable. Wow, what a way to win, too. I mean, it's just uh, that, that, I mean, that's obviously fantastic that uh, that you were able to get that done. You know, and, I, and I'm just looking at this roster, Terry, getting back to the whole construction of it, I feel like with the first four to five picks you had in this, you know, getting Foster and Sanders and Bryant and Julio and, and Gronk, I don't think you necessarily – took high risk, high upside guys and really swung for the fences with those picks. But I feel like you just took some guys with some decent upside with high floors. And and that ended up being the foundation for a team that won you $200,000. Yeah, I think the, uh, when we were picking Gronkowski, um, my teammate was a little hesitant because of the injury of previous season. And then when we took Foster, same thing. But I was kind of convincing her that, you know, 
if you want to try to win, you know, you never think you're going to win 200,000 on draft day. But I said, if you ever think you want to try to win that, you got to go for those kind of players. You know, if they crap out and you lose, you lose a couple hundred bucks. But if you can win, you win 200,000. And it, it, it also goes without saying, but I will mention it anyway. You actually also took 11th place in this same contest. So you got first and 11th and your 11th place team could have been uh, much better. Uh, you know, it, it could have come down to you and you on Monday night football. You took Adrian Peterson in the first round uh, in with, with that team. Uh, didn't have T.Y. Hilton, didn't have Julian Edelman in week 16. Obviously, DeMarco Murray was was banged up that week, as we remember. We didn't know if he was going to play. All that happened, and you still had that team take 11th place, too. Two teams in the top 11, man. That That is really, really impressive. Congratulations. And what was ironic about that team is that team had Jeremy Hill, the guy I was playing against in the other team. <laughs> Um, we're talking with uh, with Henry Mudo. He won the 2014 uh, RTS Fantasy Championship for $200,000 last year. He also won the NFFC Online Championship in 2012 for $100,000. In that league, I, I want to talk about the first part of the draft too as well. You only took one running back in the first six rounds in, in that league. Obviously, you know, you look at what you did in the RTS draft here, only taking two in the top six rounds. It's It seems to me that this is a strategy that you've probably done more than a couple of times and really enjoyed the spoils of doing that. And it actually, uh, just a real quick touch on uh, some history behind this, um, back before it was the cool thing to do. Now everyone's doing it. Um, in 2003, I joined my first ever high-stakes fantasy contest. It was the Fantasy Jungle, who's since gone away. But uh, back, I didn't play Wyckoff or anything back in the early years. I joined this one because in the Wyckoff, you had to fly to Vegas. Um, this was the first online one that you could do back then. That was it wasn't like high high stakes. You could win 15 grand. You know, it wasn't two, three hundred grand. But back in 2003, and my first, this was my first ever attempt. I started playing fantasy football in 1990, but this was my first attempt at a high-stakes contest, and I was with a, a teammate, a different teammate, of course, in this one. And just to touch on how this came about, um, we had like ninth or tenth pick, and back in those days, it was super running back heavy. Everybody wanted the best running backs, and we knew the top five or six backs would be gone before our pick. And we were like, you know, Andre Johnson's coming off 144 catch year or whatever it was. We're going to grab him. So we grabbed Andre Johnson, Randy Moss, Heinz Ward, and Amani Toomer with our first four picks. We, and this, there were 72 teams in the league. Seventy of them took at least one running back in the first two picks. Only one other team went wide receiver, wide receiver, and then he took a running back. When we went four straight receivers, um, and they were four of the top ten drafted players at that position, People were on the message board wondering, who's this guy? What's he doing? Like, what's this guy smoking? Like, he's got some nice receivers, but he's just donating because you can't win like this. And we finished the regular season second place overall. And it came down to Monday night. That was the, the week Favre's father passed away. And we had Javon Walker, who was like our 15th-round pick that year. And we were winning going into Monday night. And the, uh, there was a couple other teams in the running. And one of the guys had Favre, and he had Amon Green, and he had the Green Bay D, and he was like 30, 40 points back. And I'll never forget that night. Went to the fourth quarter, was still winning, and it came down to basically one play. Green Bay was smoking Oakland. 
Favre was having the time of his life, threw like four or five touchdowns in the first half. But in the, it was uh, like eight minutes to go. It was a third and ten. And I remember thinking, okay, if they Oakland can just stop them on this drive, they're going to pull their starters. It's over. He throws a bomb for like 40 yards. The guy dives and catches it first down. And then, sure enough, Amon Green runs in a touchdown. And then the extra point pushed us down to third place. It, the guy beat us by six. The second place team beat us by point six. <laughs> so we went from fifteen grand to two grand in one play. And and Ugh. for like for like nine years, I had been like haunting me that that happened. And and also I played like a, a misplay on a kicker or something one of the weeks, and you know lost like ten points. So I was thinking about that for nine years. Like you know, will I ever be able to overcome this? And then of course winning the two thousand twelve championship. That pretty much, you know, erased all those demons because, you know, 100,000 is a hell of a lot better than 15,000. <laughs> but uh, that's how the strategy came about. Uh, and then ever since then, I've kind of had a soft spot for going as many non-running backs as I can. Because ironically, and I would never draft this way probably in my life again, but I don't know why, but in 2012 I started Brady Gronkowski. Like who starts quarterback tight end in a one PPR league? Now, they do give you six points for a touchdown, which for some reason everyone back then was drafting quarterbacks really high. But, you know, I don't – even with six points, we don't pretty much do it nowadays, But um, even though it was only three years ago. But, uh, yeah, so they start off quarterback, uh, tight end, then one running back, and then three straight receivers. And then that league also came down to the final play. Uh, I went into the Monday night – uh, that was actually a Sunday night final because it was Seattle-San Fran. And I went into that Sunday night um, down like 12 points. I had lynched the other guy at Crabtree. But ironically, I had another team that was in the running with Seattle defense. So literally the final play of the game, it was a fourth and 17. Seattle was crushing San Francisco, but my Seattle defense was going to get bonus points. I was literally sitting on the fourth and 17 with under two minutes to go in first and second place. And the way it was going to work is if Crabtree scored, I would drop to third and fourth. And if anybody else scored, I'd finish first and fourth. And if nobody scored, I would finish first and second. And then um, I believe it was Delaney Walker scored the touchdown. So then I ended up first and fourth. So I actually ended up winning 110 because I got first and fourth on that one. Unbelievable. Wow. Just Henry Muda with some great stories tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Henry, you've obviously, uh, you know, shown your credibility with uh, with winning all these national redraft contests. So let's kind of put those skills into use here. I'm going to ask you a question about the Broncos this year. Gary Kubiak is the new head coach there. He's bringing his offense there to um, Peyton Manning, Demarius Thomas, C.J. Anderson, all those guys who were running Adam Gase's offense last year. Do you think from a fantasy perspective, when, when you look at the players that are there, do you think anybody's value is, is going to go up or down significantly because of the new offense? Or do you think everything there is is going to stay roughly the same? Um, well, I remember, you know, with Kubiak being in Houston, how he loved to run Aaron Foster to death. Um, I think, and it, it sure looks like uh, Peyton Manning is on a decline here, his arm strength. I mean, he's still got a good short passing game. It just seems to me that they're going to scale it back some. I think uh, these playoff losses, they're starting to realize, 
they need to run the ball more. And I, I'm not sure if C.J. Anderson will hold on to the job the whole year or what's going to go down, but I think they're going to go to a little more running back heavy offense. I think Peyton Manning's seen his best days. And, uh, and then with Julius Thomas gone, I think that's going to create a hole. And I don't believe Wes Welker will be back. So they'll have to have a rookie step up in that spot. But I, I do think uh, we're going to see some declining receiving numbers. Maybe Demaris Thomas will be okay. Uh, Sanders, probably, you know, I mean, they scored, what, 340 and like 290 points. That's going to be hard to duplicate. Um, so I see a little bit of a fall off there from the passing game. That makes sense. Let's uh, so you're you're predicting a, a little bit of a uh, an additional uh, some additional stats of C.J. Anderson in the running game there. What about the running game in Carolina? Jonathan Stewart uh, seems like he's going to be the guy there with D'Angelo Williams going to Pittsburgh. Then they could obviously draft somebody, and with how deep this running back rookie class is, I'm sure that they will. But right now, it looks like it's Stewart. Um, would you take him as far as the FFPC goes? He's going roughly in the sixth to seventh round of, of uh, online sats right now. Is that where you would would look to grab him this year, or um, are, do you think that his his stock might slip a little bit if Carolina does draft a rookie? Jonathan Stewart. He's been like the hope of many for the last five years. I mean, it was I think two thousand nine when he had an amazing second half of the year. Um, and then, cause I remember, well, uh, I, I started my dynasty in 97. That was the first year I got into dynasty running my own league. Did not join another dynasty league till your FFPC in 2010. Um, and third round I drafted Jonathan Stewart. So it's kind of got a, you know, painful sore spot for me. <laughs> I've stuck with them though. I still actually <laughs> have them on a and um, I did draft him in that, that uh, new dynasty league that I won the national championship on last year. Of course, I got him in like the 17th round in that league. And then I cut him and then I repicked him up. But, uh, you know, God, it's so tough with Jonathan Stewart. He had a great end of the year. He scored 50 points the last three weeks, 14, 15, 16. Um, and he looked pretty good. It's just he's got an injury history, and but if they don't draft a running back, I, I think his draft stock's going to increase. I think if he has a good preseason, he'll start going in the fourth or fifth round. Um, if they draft somebody, I think that's definitely going to hurt him. I, I, I would say if they don't draft anybody, I would definitely take them in like the sixth, seventh round. If I, if I go with my take four wide receivers in the first six picks or something, um, but if they draft another running back, that's going to be awful tough because I see a timeshare there, you know, unless it's just like a late round pick or something. Talking with Henry Mudo, who is co-hosting tonight with me on the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour. He won the 2012 NFFC Online Championship, the 2014 RTS Fantasy Championship. But Henry, you also have been very successful as in uh, in the dynasty space as well. You were in eight dynasty leagues last year. You won five of them, uh, including two of the four FFPC dynasty leagues you're in. You won the national DFF excuse me DFFWC title as well. You've been incredibly successful at dynasty, man. What is your secret? I mean, five out of eight leagues last year—that's fantastic. How how have you been able to crush the competition in the dynasty high stakes space? I started, like I said, my first dynasty in 97, and I only played that one 
until 2010, and then I've added the other one since then. Um, now, the one I run, I run two dynasty leagues. Those are totally different. There's salary cap and you hold big rosters. Um, I've been successful in those two by drafting good in the rookie drafts or in the one with the startup draft and a few good trades. But uh, well, one I started in 97. I drafted guys like Randy Moss as a rookie, Philip Rivers as a rookie. You know, Moss was obviously a high pick. But I got guys like Vincent Jackson, Brandon Marshall, Steve Smith, Philip Rivers, and, like, the third round. Like, you nail the third round, and that's how you keep your team, you know, winning from year to year to year. I never had a losing season, and I've been playing since 97, and I won eight championships out of the 18 years in that league. But the FFPC is a totally different animal with the short rosters, the cut-down days, um, stuff like that. And up until two years ago, I wasn't very successful in FFPC. Two years ago, I won my first one, and then last year I won two of the four. Um, And I have a teammate in those ones that I won those championships, so he was a great help. He actually, in one of those leagues, Actually, both, to be to be honest. He made some brilliant trades. So in the FFPC ones, the trades. Because I actually finished in second to last place, turned the season around in one year, came in second place, and then won back-to-back titles the last two years in one of those leagues. And then the other league, I finished in second to last place when I had like half my team hit with injury, and then threw some good trades, won the championship last year. So I think in the FFPC, trading is huge. Trying to get those guys, you know, you can find some really good trades, especially mid-season if a team is uh, faltering. Trying to get those uh, guys like Justin Forsett and stuff were offered to me for second-round picks. You know, those guys can help you win championships. That's very true. That's a that's a great point, and it's I mean it's an underrated aspect of it. You know, we think about fantasy football. We think about okay, player evaluation. How good is this guy? What's the value on him? But a lot of times when you're working with, uh, you know, you're playing against somebody, but you're also working with them and trying to you know help each other's teams. You got to understand how they value players too. So it's 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 a uh, it's definitely a different animal when you're able to uh, trade. One of the bigger trades that went hap- uh, that went down in the NFL this year, uh, this offseason, was LaShawn McCoy being traded to the Buffalo Bills. And to replace him in Philadelphia, the Eagles went out and signed DeMarco Murray. So, Henry, two of the biggest, I mean, first-round picks last year, guys uh, that, that were uh, going to be huge in 2014 as far as draft picks go. They're going to be huge in 2015. What do you kind of look at, at their perceptive values uh, right now as far as redraft goes? What do you think about Murray and McCoy for 2015? I was watching uh, what was going to happen with these guys very closely because one of those FFPC championships had both LaShawn McCoy and DeMarco Murray on them last year. So I was following this very closely. Um, I actually, you know, I was – a lot of people were disappointed when McCoy went to Buffalo. I really wasn't. Um, They just stole a lot of his touchdowns, Sproles, Polk. We're just stealing his touchdowns left and right last year. He wasn't on the field for a third down back as much with Sproles there. So I wasn't disappointed with that. I actually kind of liked it. Uh, Fred Jackson's a little bit of a threat, you know, because he does get goal line looks. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But 
I don't know if people realize, LaShawn McCoy had like less than 200 points last year, like right around 200 in PPR. That's And he was the number one overall pick on average. I mean, <laughs> that's a devastating season for the number one overall pick. So I think it was good to get him out of there. Now, DeMarco Murray then goes to Philadelphia. I wasn't real thrilled with that. They just And then they signed Ryan Matthews on top of that. So I see him trending down. And then everyone forgets, real quick, his injury history. You know, so I'm a little leery of DeMarco Murray this year. I can't say that I'm probably going to spend a first-round pick on the guy. I, I, and, you know, unless it's late first and I don't see him falling to late first. So I don't see DeMarco Murray being on a lot of my teams this year. If it came down to it, Henry, and, and you were, you know, let's say um, – you were drafting uh, at like the 112 or the, the 201 or something like that. Uh, maybe you took a receiver with one of those picks, and then you could either take McCoy or Murray. Um, would you take McCoy over Murray this year if, if it came down to those two guys? Uh, I think if it's – wow, that, that's really tough. I think I, you need to evaluate what's going on in the preseason before making a decision like that. Um, but it's close. It's, I think it's close as of right now. Um, I think most people are going to lean towards DeMarco Murray. Because, I mean, that Philadelphia offense, I just, they got to use him more than they used LaShawn McCoy. I, that's, it's not the offense. And their, their Philadelphia line had fallen back. They were considered one of the best. What propped DeMarco Murray up is that Dallas line was so awesome. So, it's it's a tough one. I mean, I mean, I would definitely take one of those guys that late in the draft. Um, probably lean towards uh, Demarco Murray, though. You know, all things considered, equal heads up. I just think Demarco Murray is going to be going in the top five, and I don't think I'd be comfortable taking him that high. Henry Mudo, the winner of the 2012 NFFC Online, the 2014 RTS Fantasy Championship. I want to shift back into dynasty mode here, uh, Henry, who also won the, the 2014 DFF uh, WC uh, contest as well for, for dynasty teams. Let's talk uh, about an aging veteran, maybe that uh, you're if, if you own him on a team, not necessarily one of your teams, but if somebody does, they should be looking to sell him now uh, to, to get uh, some value for him. And then maybe a guy that is maybe perceived as not being a great value right now that you think that uh, you should be buying uh, a guy in, in, in dynasty that you're selling and a guy that you want to look to buy right now. Um, I haven't really looked too closely at football this year. Usually after, you know, the fantasy season ends, I quit for like three months, which makes it a little rough for the FFPC dynasties because trades are going on. You got to make cuts. I just like to relax for about three months, wait till March Madness is over to get back into it. So I haven't really been paying too much attention. I kind of looked at it a little, but, uh, I mean, there's some obvious players, I think, like an Antonio Gates who had a monster year last year that's probably getting close to the end. Um, last year would have been a good year to sell a few players, like uh, Vernon Davis just fell off the face of the earth, and uh, Doug Martin, like, crumbled, and... I think, uh, you know, maybe Forte would be a good one. You might be selling them a year early, but most running backs, unless they're named Fred Jackson and Frank Gore, by the time they're 30, start dropping off. And I believe he's 29 at some point this year. Um, if you want to sell a 
marquee player and try to, you know, maybe land a dynasty stud receiver like an Odell Beckham Jr. or something like that. You know, that, you know, you probably have to throw something more in on top of Forte to get a Beckham. But I think that would be a good idea instead of waiting till he, you know, falls apart. Forte could be one of those guys too. If somebody in their in their league is is looking very strong, looking to make a championship run, and they're just running back away, they might be willing uh, to give you some good young players, maybe some picks for Matt Forte. So I definitely like that. Henry, we have an email here from uh, Ernie in St. Louis, Missouri. He actually asked about a lot of players in here, and I don't know if you have any thoughts on any of these guys, but uh, you can just let me know. Uh, Ernie writes: Is Miles Austin fantasy relevant this year with Philly? And should I be paying attention to Stevon Ridley, Michael Crabtree, or Hakeem Nix? I feel like because we are in a slower part of the year, I might be overrating these guys since they're still unsigned and in the news. Thanks for the email, Ernie. Uh, let's talk about, uh, Henry, the, those those uh, those four guys. Are, are, are any of these guys, I mean, obviously they're not world beaters. They're, they're not going to be crushing you know, uh, top five seasons this year. But Miles Austin, Stevon Ridley, Crabtree, Knicks, are, are you paying attention to, to where these guys are going? Or are you kind of washing your hands uh, of these four? Um, I've pretty much given up on Knicks. I was pretty high on him a few years ago. Got him in a couple of dynasty leagues. You're killing me. I'm done with that guy. <laughs> he just doesn't look like he has it anymore. Um, Miles Austin, ah, you know, he's he doesn't look like he has it anymore either, but Philadelphia is a tempting place uh, with Macklin gone. Um, I guess you have to see how the draft shakes out, but I'm not, you know, super high on him either. Uh, Ridley, man, it really depends on where he goes. <clears throat> um, he's not going to catch the ball probably, so it makes it rough. You know, you really got to find that landing spot. If you can get in Dynasty Ridley cheap, like very cheap, you know, that's possible. Just hope for the best. And then Crabtree is a guy I was really high on last year, actually. I took him in the fourth round of that Dynasty one that I won that overall national championship. And, of course, he faded at the end. And, and I'm not sure if he's going back to San Fran. It doesn't look like it. And I'm not sure who's going to pick him up. I still have hopes for Crabtree that – he can be something. He's still young, and uh, you know, Crabtree would be the guy of the four of the I would target of those four. Yeah, it's interesting. I have Michael Crabtree in in one of my dynasty leagues, and um, you know, the, the 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 dynasty cut down for this is is not till you know like a week before um, the season starts, the NFL season starts, so I can let the roster balloon up. So I'm hoping he's signed by then. But if Michael Crabtree is unsigned you know, in, in late August, early September, I, I'm going to start asking myself, what's the point? You know, if, if no team is willing to take a, a chance on him, why should I uh, have him on my roster? So Crabtree too, I, I would say out of those four is, uh, is probably the, the guy I'm most interested in to see uh, who ends up signing him. If anyone does this here, Henry, it, let's talk uh last question for you specifically uh, as far as your strategy uh, goes in player evaluation, a player, and I know you're still in wildcat mode with Big Blue Nation playing uh, tomorrow night in the Final Four, but a player that uh, off the top of your head that you're not going to have on a whole lot of your, your teams this year and a player that uh, is looking pretty good that you're going to try to get a bunch of shares of in 2015. Huh. Um, that's, that's a good question. Um, 
probably Julius Thomas ain't going to make it on any of my teams this year. I'm not sure where people are rating him at this point, but I think it was almost the kiss of death for this year for Jacksonville. Uh, I think he was TD um, dependent. Peyton Manning was feeding him a lot of TDs. You saw at the end of the year he got nicked up again, was completely useless. Um, don't see Julius Thomas being on a lot of my teams this year. As far as a uh, player that I'd like to get, um, I think uh, – well – are you talking like a sleeper? Or are you talking like a you know any any round? Could be anything. It could be a late round sleeper that not a lot of people are talking about. It could be a guy that's going to go in the top two rounds that you just feel like you know this this is a good value here. I, I want to build my team around this guy. Could literally be anybody. I think um, I'm not sure he's going to fall this late, but uh, people kind of forget about Beckham at all. Uh, he'll probably be going at the end of the first round. I think I would love to get Beckham as an end of the first, early second round pick. Um, that's that's definitely a guy I'll be targeting. Um, uh, I haven't really put too much thought into that, but uh, that's probably the guy that I'd really. It's not. It, it's it. It's not a bad guy to go with Beckham. I mean, the way he crushed it last year, obviously, uh, I think a lot of people are going to want him uh, on their teams this year, myself included. Uh, Henry, let's let's talk about some of the uh, the players uh, that were in the news this week. And the first two I want to talk about are uh, a couple of rookie tight ends from 2014. Uh, they are uh, Austin Safarian Jenkins and Eric Ebron. I'll just read the, these blurbs real quick. ESPN.com is reporting that the Bucks believe a healthy ASJ can catch 60 or more passes this year. ASJ caught 21 last year, uh, but apparently the Bucks not concerned about that. They've added no tight ends in free agency. Their new offensive coordinator, Dirk Ketter, has a history of getting the most out of his tight ends. Uh, and ASJ is going to be running down the seam uh, in the middle of the field with Mike Evans and Vince Jackson on the outside taking up uh, attention from the secondary. Uh, ASJ, 6'5", 262. So obviously he is going to be a good target in the end zone for Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota, or whoever the Bucs draft. Uh, and then you look at Ebron, um, the new offensive coordinator. I shouldn't say new. He was new last year. Uh, the second-year offensive coordinator, Joe Lombardi, expects Eric Ebron to be the number three option uh, in the passing game this season behind Calvin Johnson and Golden Tate. Ebron only caught 25 balls for 248 yards and one touchdown last year. He only had 49 targets. But remember, Reggie Bush is gone. Uh, Theo Riddick and Joyke Bell still there uh, in the uh, in the running game catching passes. Uh, but Bush had 56 targets last year. So those are got probably going to go to somebody. I know Matthew Stafford said he is, is probably not going to be passing as much as he did last year. Uh, but... Calvin Johnson and Golden Tate demand a lot of attention from corners and safeties. So Ebron could be floating uh, across the middle uh, and in the uh, open spots, getting open for Matthew Stafford. Uh, he could finish as a top 12 tight end this year. Henry, are, are you particularly excited about Ebron or ASJ? And let's talk about the FFPC format, too, where tight ends, you know, you get that point and a half per catch. What about Ebron and ASJ in 2015? Are they taking big steps forward in, in your mind? Tight end's a tough position. Like, last year, a lot of people were taking Ebron, I think, way too early in the uh, drafts, and uh, they obviously paid for it. 
he was going in like the tenth, eleventh round, um, and he just never panned out. Which a lot of the rookie Titans. I mean, even looking at Jimmy Graham, he didn't have a good first year. Uh, Gronk, Gronk had a good first year. He scored like ten touchdowns. But uh, I think you know, second, third years when they start to come around. I, I do like both of them. In fact, I still haunts me that one of my dynasty leagues, I took Eric Ebron at number eight over Beckham. <laughs> so I definitely want him to pan out there. Um, it, neither of them looked that great last year. I thought actually ASJ uh, looked a little bit better uh, than Ebron. But, uh, yeah, I, I think maybe if you can get him in the, the ninth, tenth round is your second or third tight end, take a shot. Um, I think a lot of people are having hopes that they're going to be like Travis Kelsey was last year. He was like a eighth, ninth, tenth round guy that really hyped in the off season. He started off slow, uh, but he picked up and actually finished in the top ten. So yeah, I, I do like both of those guys. I just I went over pay for him, maybe a mid round pick, tenth round or so. And, and Henry, I don't want you to feel too bad about drafting Eric Ebron over Beckham because you know who else took Eric Ebron over Odell Beckham last year? The Detroit Lions. So, so obviously the player evaluation there on the professional level was very similar to yours. We have a question from the uh, chat room. Brothers Mayhem uh, wants to know from you, Henry, which second-year receiver will have the biggest drop-off this year? We had a lot of receivers, rookie receivers last year, have some big seasons Kelvin Benjamin, Mike Evans, uh, Sammy Watkins. You had Brandon Cooks on pace for a really good season until he got hurt. So there was a lot of good rookies last year uh, that had some pretty solid seasons. Are you anticipating a big drop-off for any of those guys? Okay, let me take a look here. I definitely uh, like what Mike Evans and Watkins and uh, Bryant, Matthews, Benjamin, they were all doing well. Uh, Cooks, Cooks looks like he should do well. Cooks should be a good focal point now there with Graham gone. Uh, Matthews will definitely pick up a bigger role. Um, hmm, that, that's a tough one. Uh, and I mean, it, and, it, and it could be too that you, when you look at those guys, those guys there, and I forgot to mention Jordan Matthews, but but uh, you bring him up too, he's another one. Maybe none of those guys have have that big of a drop off coming into 2015. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's going to be a couple. We're just I, I can't see it right now. Um, but yeah, you know, there's going to be a couple that are like, you know, what happened to this guy? But uh, right. Yeah, I can't really see it right now. Um, I thought Devonte Adams was going to get a big boost, and Cobb was going to go somewhere else, but that. That that's gonna hurt Devonte Adams, but he he he's not gonna drop off, uh, I don't think. Um, so yeah, that's that's a tough one. If I had to pick a player, it might be uh, Benjamin. He had a lot of touchdowns, so you know that's one of the hardest sustainable stats. So, but I don't, you know, of course I don't expect it to happen, but you never know. You never know, and and if I know Carolina's in the market for a receiver too, so maybe they draft uh, somebody in the top two rounds, and and he competes with those uh, targets that Benjamin was scooping up last year. Greg Olson's still there as well, so I think that uh, he would be a good selection uh, to maybe uh, suffer a little bit of a drop off, given how many touchdowns he did score last year. 
Let's talk about Lamar Miller. He uh, put on eight pounds of weight. Now he's uh, weighing in at 225 pounds. He averaged 5.1 yards per carry last year, but he was just 14th among running backs with only 216 carries. Obviously, he thinks he's getting more touches in 2015. Henry, when you look at running backs like Lamar Miller putting on this added weight, does that concern you at all, or or is it a little bit overrated in your mind uh, when you look at what this is going to do for their fantasy production? Um, eh, I mean, it depends on the player. 225, it might be a little heavy for him, but it's not that bad. Um, yeah. The 2013 ascendant that crashed and burned because I had Lamar Miller on about 15 of my teams that year. So <laughs> last year, last year I picked him only once, and that was when I got him in like the 12th round. You know, I, I definitely had given up on that guy too soon. But uh, um, and Marino's no longer there. Um, yeah, I think he'll he'll still have a good year this year if they don't add. Uh, some you know star in the draft or something. I, I definitely like Miller. I, I don't think the weight's that big a deal. Being only eight pounds, you know, if it was like fifteen pounds or something, might be a little more concerning. Yeah, fifteen pounds. I think uh, I, I would be concerned uh, about that. Let's uh, let's hit up the emails here, uh, Henry. First one is from David in Nor- Norwalk, Connecticut. Uh, he writes, hello, Balky and Henry. As a Ravens fan, I'm excited that Baltimore got Tressman in to run the offense this year. But as a fantasy player, I think that people are underrating his departure from the Bears. Do you guys think we need to temper expectations on Cutler, Forte, Jeffrey, and Bennett this season? Thanks, fellas. Thanks for the email. That's David in Norwalk, Connecticut. So Mark Tressman leaves Chicago, goes to Baltimore, and he leaves behind Jay Cutler, Forte, Alshon Jeffrey, and Martellus Bennett. I would think that Matt Forte's catches um, will go down this year. Not not a ton, but I do believe that uh, a lot of the passes he was catching was was because of that offense that Tressman put there. I don't I don't know how much it changes Jay Cutler's value, um, and and Jeffrey I think will probably be catching more passes this year just because he doesn't have to contend with Brandon Marshall. Uh, and I don't know how much Martellus Bennett's value has changed. So I think that there, there are some moving pieces there, but I don't know if it's going to be anything drastic. What's your read for the Bears offense this year, Henry? Um, if I had to guess right now, um, I would feel about the same. I think, uh, like you said, without Marshall there, Jeffrey could actually go up in catches. I think Bennett would just have a little bit of a decline because he did have a, a pretty stellar year. I think 90 catches or so. Um, I don't expect that again. Uh, Forte, like you said, I definitely think the catches are going to come down maybe, you know, 10, 20%. Uh, and the Cutler, I mean, his value wasn't that high to begin with. <laughs> and after last year's debacle, you know, I don't know how many fantasy teams are taking him as their starting quarterback. So, uh, yeah, I think his value is pretty much, you know, the same at best. Let's go to uh, Richard in Los Angeles, California. He writes, hello, Bo and Luke. I just bought my ticket to the Jordan Matthews hype train and can't really see a non-injury scenario where he doesn't end up as a top 12 wide receiver this season. Am I being blinded by my excitement or do you guys agree? You're just a little bit more than the law allows. That's Richard in LA, California. Did you ever watch the Dukes of Hazard, Henry? 
Yeah, it was it was it was a long. I've I've seen the reruns. I don't I don't know if it was ever on when when I was alive. I think it was. Um, but uh, Bo and Luke, man, a couple of ba- real grade A badasses. Uh, I always uh, enjoyed it when I watched. But anyway, let's talk about Jordan Matthews here. Could he be a top twelve receiver this year, Henry? When when you look at the Eagles' offense and and the the lack of bringing in um, some stud receivers to compete uh, with Jordan Matthews for those targets. Uh, letting Macklin go to the Chiefs. What do you think about Jordan Matthews this year? Um, I, top 12 might be a stretch. Uh, he he could hit it, but uh, my guess would be more in the wide receiver two range. Um, I definitely think they'll get him more involved with Macklin gone now. Uh, they still got a lot of mouths to feed on that offense. I expect Zach Ertz to get a little bit of a pickup, too. Um, he was another tight end that, you know, in the Kelsey type where people thought he'd do really good and kind of, you know, faded at the end, except for like one huge game at the end. But uh, I would I would guess more in the 13 to 18 range myself, but uh, definitely has potential. I mean, sometimes these receivers leap in year two. Sometimes it takes them to year three. Um, he had a really good year last year for being a rookie. So I would say 13 to 18. A little more conservative, but definitely has the potential to get in the top 12. Yeah, for me, I feel like if he does make it into the top 12, it's really a product of of, uh, of the Chip Kelly offense running all those plays. I don't think he's necessarily a top 12 talent uh, in the league, but just sheer volume. I think you're right in that in that 15 to 20 range. You said 13 to 18. I think that's that's more likely where he'll end up this year, but it would not shock me at all if he got into the uh, back end of the top 12. Jackie in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania writes with the Raiders with the Raiders trying to sign DeMarco Murray. Well, they didn't sign him and then signing Trent Richardson. I'm beginning to doubt that the Oakland coaching staff and front office has any faith in Latavius Murray or do they just not know what they're doing? If I take Latavius Murray in a draft this summer, is it just a wasted pick? Or is there something there? Thanks for the email. That's Jackie in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Kind of an interesting um, scenario out in Oakland with that running game, Henry. Latavius Murray looked like he was going to be the guy. Then we heard these rumors of DeMarco Murray, um, you know, the the Raiders trying to sign him. Then they didn't sign him, and then they bring in Trent Richardson. So it seems to me that Oakland is looking for reasons not to make Murray the featured back. Uh, They're going to make him compete with Richardson, a competition I fully expect Murray to win. But, you know, talent and opportunity, those are important. But also you got to have the faith of the people putting you on the field. I'm a little bit concerned with Latavius Murray's 2015 prospects. Yeah, I mean, he looked really good that one game, um, Kansas City, late in the year. And everyone was like, finally, they start playing him. But uh, I just – they – Seem hesitant to want to, you know, put him as a full-time back, and uh, yeah, I have a lot of concerns there too. I Trent Richardson's dead to me. I four dynasty leagues, I get the guy. I kill him. Oh, that is brutal, man. <laughs> just, so, just, I mean, just. <laughs> I even cut him in the FFPC league, one of my leagues. I cut him. I had enough. I just. Uh, Oh, God. But uh, I'd like to know. I, yeah. I'd like to know the statistic of how many people Trent Richardson has made quit fantasy football because they owned him in in a league, and then just said, "You know what? Screw it. I'm done with this." I, I Trent Richardson has made me hate fantasy football. I mean, I drafted him at the, the in in non FFPC leagues. 
two of them in the one one over you know Andrew Luck. So kind of hate. Oh. You know, but so time, frustrating. You know, that was play to make in theory. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, my, I definitely have some concerns as well. I definitely think Murray's the better back. It just they don't seem to trust him to take the full load. I mean, even Darren McFadden was getting in there at the end and a lot of plays, you know. So yeah, yeah, that's a tough one. But you might be able to steal them late ninth, tenth round, and you know, once Trent Richardson's out of the way, you know, early in the season, hopefully, then uh, he can become what we think he'll become, like another Lamar Miller or something. Right. Yep. No, that that's uh, that seems accurate. And the other thing too is, you know, we look at Richardson being a bad thing. Maybe the fact that he's there and his presence there, and the the coaching staff saying he's going to compete for the starting job, maybe that drives Latavius Murray's price down in drafts, and you can actually get a good bargain on him. I want to fly through this last email here. It's Tom in Waltham, Massachusetts. He writes, hello, best fantasy pod ever. Please read my email on the air. I got to tell you, people, if you're going to write us emails and you started off with that, you're probably going to get it read on air. So I'm reading Tom's email tonight. He writes, I drafted Sammy Watkins at the 101 in my rookie draft last year, and I'm having a bit of buyer's remorse. Buffalo brings in ground and pound Rex Ryan, who promptly trades for Shady McCoy. Then they give what I have been told is an ass load of money to Charles Clay and bring in Percy Harvin, too. With Matt Castle slinging in the rock and coming off surgery, would you guys being look? Would you guys be looking to deal Watkins now before his value bottoms out? Um, Henry, I'll just preface this by saying I was offered. Dave actually offered me, and I can't remember what the exact deal was, but it was centered around Watkins, and then I'd be giving up the 104. Those were the two big pieces uh, in the deal, and there were some other you know smaller pieces in there as well. But I turned it down because I do have misgivings because. I'm not sure what Buffalo's identity is going to be. I know they want to get Watkins the ball. I'm just not really sure how much he's set up for success this coming year with Clay, Harvin, and McCoy all there. Yeah, it definitely. Uh, and Castle is the biggest concern, I think. Um, it, yeah, and Rex Ryan's there. It definitely is a big concern. Watkins probably should have been the guy who he said is going to have a down year of all the rookies. <laughs> right. Because it definitely looks that way. Um, he's got a lot of talent. He definitely has a lot of talent. You know, he was he was in my top two uh, last year of guys I wanted. So, um, I maybe you know, it's tough. Like some people wanted to give up on guys like AJ Green, Des Bryant early in their careers. Um, you know, you can't give up on guys. Not really AJ Green. I actually I gave up on AJ Green when I saw Dalton play in preseason. So <laughs> sometimes you just gotta weather the storms. Um, and you know, it just depends on who you can get for the guy, you know? So that's so, how I feel about that one. Make, send out you can get. And Henry, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. 2012 NFFC champ, 2014 RTS champ, uh, 2014 DFFWC champ. Thanks for co-hosting tonight, man. Great job. Thanks for having me. You bet, Henry. We will talk to you again soon. Good luck to all you uh, to your to all your leagues this year. I want to thank Henry Gatorade FedEx, the FFPC uh, producer, mutual friend Rob, audio engineer Bryce. Most importantly, all our listeners, go Badgers in the NCAA tournament. Happy Easter, Draft Sharks, Jared Smola. This has Next been week, another episode of the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour presented by MyFFPC.com that was broadcast live and heard around the world. Eric and Dave will be back next week with more analysis, interviews, and advice from a guest much smarter than they are. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk with you again next week.